Live from the 607, it is the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Why don't you join in the conversation with the hashtag ODPH? Here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Seeing across from me this week is the one, the only, Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And joining us in studio, and man, he wants to get talking about some NBA highlights. It's your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Kick me off this mic again, boy. He wants it. He wants it. Hit us up on that social media hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation on social media because we want to hear from you. And there is no bigger sports story going on right now than the NBA playoffs. Uh, and if you listen closely, I think you can still hear Toronto cheering, screaming, and every other loud noise. When we say Game 7 in any kind of series and fashion, it is the most dramatic game that can happen in a playoff, mm-hmm. w- without question. Absolutely. I mean, the Super Bowl is one thing, and, and but that's on a whole different level. But when you were talking Game 7, whether you're talking hockey, whether you're talking baseball, whether you're talking basketball – the stakes are so high. Home court advantages yeah. and all that. I'll say the one for me that comes to mind for Game 7 is probably 3 ALCS, Red Sox-Yankees. Not obviously the Aaron Boone thing, but not just that, but that's the one I remember where it was like every Yankee starting pitcher was available in the bullpen. Yeah, if you're physically able to play the game, you're in the lineup yeah. in some fashion. Like you are there. Rotations shortened for basketball, yeah. absolutely. Right. I mean, this is where careers and legacies are made and broken and depending on the, you know how far they're in the playoffs. And dare I say, both games this past Sunday lived up to expectation. Absolutely. But we have to kick off with the one Pad was alluding to a little bit. Mm-hmm. Toronto and Philly. And the shot heard around the world. Oh, the, my God. The bounces heard around the yes. world. If you want to talk about a back-and-forth battle, and this whole series has been, I mean, obviously to get to Game 7, everybody is scrapping, everybody's fighting, everybody's playing hard. They're playing defense, which I know is a big criticism about the NBA that's not as defensively strong as college basketball. But the teams showed up, and when it came down to it, Kawhi Leonard nailed it home for Toronto with the game-winning shot, winning 92-90. to Coach, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, so this is kind of where I was going to, when we were talking before the show, where I was going to go with this. Uh, So, I mean, the action was just a simple, you know, pin down screen uh, where he was coming up court while getting pinned down. uh, And his defender, Ben Simmons, kind of got cut off at the time. Joel Embiid came off of his guy to uh, try and help double Kawhi, which they had been doing all series. Every time Kawhi touched the ball, it was an instant double. Right. So uh, uh, Kawhi's dribbling up uh, the right-hand side there, and Joel Embiid, obviously seven foot two, you know, probably seven-plus wingspan, you know, tries to block the shot. Kawhi puts a fadeaway. My biggest gripe with that play was Ben Simmons gave up. Really? I mean, he was the man covering him. I know Embiid kind of gets in his way, but if you watch the replay, where is Ben Simmons in relation to Kawhi at the end of that play? About three or four steps away from him while Embiid's covering him and doing everything he can to block the shot. That's a very good argument because as you watch the replay, yeah, Simmons does tail off. And especially in that kind of situation, and we're not overhyping a game seven. Everything. You're, everything to try and block that shot. And he literally, he's three or four steps away. How can you let that defender or your the guy you're defending, yeah, go away. 
You can't. You have to stay with him. I and, mean, if that's your guy you were defending, you have to stay as much like a Velcro on him as yeah. you can. And I understand that it was just a simple pin down action with a down screen, but it's like, and I understand that Embiid bumped him, but he literally he stopped. He easily could have still, with his wingspan at six ten, could have at least tried to make up some ground on Kawhi to try and interfere with you know his vision or try and block the shot. One way or another, he could have done something, but he stopped and did nothing. And especially you can't do that in that kind of game. And, no. that, and especially, too, with the dynamic of Philly has been trusting the process since day one. Right. And this is the young nucleus is supposed to make those big playoff runs and get championships. Well, the process was this This was the year. Yeah. I mean, they go out, they get Jimmy Butler, they went out the trade deadline to get Tobias Harris. I yeah. mean, they made moves to put them in a position. My problem with the Philadelphia roster is it was putting – and I understand Ben Simmons is a generational talent. There's not many guys at 6'10 that can run the point guard the way that he does. But the problem with that is he doesn't have a jump shot. No, he still has not developed And one. you no. cannot be a, a, a point guard and dominate the ball the way that you do in spacing the floor without having a jump shot. I mean, they have to keep J.J. Redick on the floor with him just so they have a guy who can shoot jumpers. And the problem is him and Embiid play in the same way with, you know, that their backs to the paint and everything. This roster is just not constructed very well. No, and you would figure that they would be the higher-ups there in Philly would actually address this situation too. Because, I mean, obviously going out and getting Jimmy Butler, which was one of the biggest free agency yeah. or, you know, player acquisitions you can say, to go get. Because, I mean, obviously getting him out of Minnesota was, right. was a whole ordeal in itself. So to get him to Philly, and he was supposed to be, you know, the the crowning jewel, so to speak, to get you over the top, the piece, you know, yeah, the, the, the final piece. And not to say he did not show up, because if anybody on Philly's roster showed up on Sunday, it was Butler. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he played that all series. He did. The he entire. played very well. And the thing is, is he's running the point too with Simmons. It's like he is a two or three at best. He's not a point guard. And you putting him on the ball is not in a position that he needs to be. He needs to be off the ball, getting screens, getting you know looks in the post, and he's not able to do that because Simmons dominates the ball so much. And I mean, I'm not trying to kill the young man, like believe me, but it's just his game does not fit the need of this team. No, you you definitely hit a very valid point on that, and especially too if you don't have a jumper, you got to make up for it in some way, shape, or form. Right. But to tail off at the end like you did, especially after Jimmy Butler just hit the game-tying shot, let us not forget that. Right. So for Toronto to come and bounce back, which kudos to them too. And I know that we've talked about this a little bit, but obviously this is a LeBronless Eastern <laughs> Conference. <laughs> you got to put that asterisk in there, huh? Yeah, but, but you have to. But if any team is going to take advantage of it, it has to be Toronto. Right. Because of the years they've had such a great team up there, and they just couldn't get past the Lebronto. Caps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that was the running joke that just LeBron would just come up there and just dominate him, and he did. I mean, hey, stats don't lie, folks. Yeah. But to see them finally get over the hump, so to speak, and Kawhi Leonard, who is just found a—I don't want to say a career resurgence, but let's be honest—the fact that he's now in a different city, different conference, and he's making every effort to make it his championship to lose with the rest of the Raptors. Yeah, he absolutely – I mean, he – I think one time at the broadcast they talked about the fact that he was forcing shots up, which is not a Kawhi thing because, I mean, he shot, what, 70 or 60% from the field this entire series. Mm -hmm. Like, forcing shots up is not his game. So, 
I, they and they even made a point to say he is forcing looks because he wants to win this game. Yeah, and he definitely wants to bring it home. I mean, he knows from being in the Spurs system about what it takes to win, and I think right. for him to be up there around Toronto, who let's face and let's be honest, they haven't had the best success in the playoffs. And for him to be up there and kind of showing and, and working with the players up there and getting that different mentality up there. I mean, we talk about that so much on the show. Is when you have a player that comes in and can change the culture of thinking with a team up there. It's huge. What well, was a whole? Oh, it was a whole overhaul because I mean, now they fire their head coach after winning coach of the year. Yeah, come in with a new guy who has not you know made playoff experience. You know, you go out and you get you know you trade your arguably best player and. DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, which was a chemistry thing. You know, obviously Kyle Lowry and him had uh, issues in the beginning, uh, DeMar DeRozan and, and Kyle. They obviously became friends, so now there's a chemistry issue, head coaching issue. So there were so many things that went into this first-year season for this new-look Toronto Raptors team that, you know, now LeBron's gone. So it was a lot of things that they were able to overcome that, that – this game seven was almost that antithesis of that. I think the thing that we definitely need to mention, though, is how good Toronto's defense was down the final stretch. Because oh, I'm, sure. I'm looking at the play-by-play uh, on ESPN.com. J.J. Redick, of course, made a 23-foot jumper with 329 left, which made the score 84-85. And then just looking through, okay, yeah, okay, so they made free-throw shots. But you had a shot clock turnover, and then their next shot was Mark uh, Jimmy Butler had a shot blocked. Like, they, didn't, they pretty much didn't score outside of free throws down the final stretch i mean that's just the telling stat right there oh yeah i mean their their team is a defensive team i mean lowry is no defensive slouch and obviously Kawhi is the perennial defensive player of the year every year basically i mean yeah jimmy butler made that shot with with four seconds left or whatever it was but like you can't go that long a stretch especially with a team like toronto and is close and it is game seven you can't miss those shots Nah, i mean yeah it was toronto's defense that was helping them miss those shots i mean serge Ibaka played well he played yeah marcus saul you know obviously in the limited role that he had played well um, you know he's just he can't be used the same way that he was before, and and Danny Green is an unsung hero. I mean, chasing yeah. chasing JJ Redick around the entire game is not easy to do. I'll say it's the stats that don't show up in the box score. Exactly, right? Exactly. With Ibaka too. I mean, he should have been the MVP of that game, but Kawhi definitely got the highlights, and especially with the game winning shot. So let me pose this to you guys about where I think Kawhi is going to go. Obviously. They now have Milwaukee, yep. yep, who just dominated Boston. We're going to get into that in a little second. Yeah. yeah, Win, lose, or draw with this series coming up, does Kawhi stay in Toronto or does he leave? I think he stays because I think if, if this whole season where, I'll be honest, I was looking at it going, I'm not really expecting all that much out of Toronto. Yes, Kyle Lowry's a, a good point guard. Yes, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a very good player. He's an all-star player. But looking at it on paper, I was like, ah, eh, we'll see where they go. I think there's an argument to be made for staying there because, okay, you made it this far with what you got on the paper. You add maybe one or two more pieces if you don't win the whole thing, you're in real title contention. I think I think he stays now. I think that the the thing that with is with Kawhi is he is a low-key, low-maintenance kind of guy. And I think the only thing that he ever wanted to be was wanted, which San Antonio tried to, but the organization didn't. Mm-hmm. The town, the city, yes. You know, the, the fans embraced him. Organization, not so much. And I think Toronto did the opposite of that. And you've heard stories about what they've done 
culturally to to embrace Kawhi and and his finer nuances with making sure that he had his maintenance minutes, making sure that he wasn't you know that he was tapered off at the right time, so his his minutes weren't high, giving him the rest days that he requested. So Toronto definitely did things that I think Kawhi and his group, you know, his organization that's around him, uh, would you know feel comfortable with him staying there for the long term. I think he stays now too. I cannot see him leave. In after hitting the game-winning shot. I mean, let us be honest, and this isn't a rip on Philly and the Sixers, but when Toronto got into the finals here, into the playoffs, and it was going against Philly, I think everybody kind of had a feeling that Philly might give them a good run, maybe even beat them in six. Yeah, absolutely. For Toronto to weather the storm and for Kawhi to emerge, and dare I say, this is now one of the biggest Toronto sports moments in history. Arguably, arguably their biggest one since Joe Carter. I was going to say since Joe Carter did it to the Phillies in the World Series. Yeah, this is one of those weird scenarios that I think Kawhi is just now ascended his legacy, so to speak. Sure. A little bit. Well, see, I'm just realizing Toronto's got something against Philly. I it, it's a weird thing. I was talking to some Philly fans on on Twitter at OD Parlay Hour, and you know, obviously they're saying it's just like the, it haunts them too when they. Well, go, it's the anniversary too of Vince Carter missing yep. the shot in Philly, right? Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's just absolutely wild to think. So seeing this and seeing Kawhi just now establishes his, his legacy now, and especially like Coach was talking about too. The fact they've catered so much to him yeah. to appease him to say, hey, we're willing to make you the face of the franchise on your terms. Right. Not on our terms, on your terms. We're getting you a team that can definitely hang and contend. And where they go from here, I mean, it's hard-pressed for him to go anywhere. Because if he went to L.A., hypothetically saying, either with the Lakers or Clippers. Right. L.A. is the second biggest media market to New York, in my opinion. It's a 1A, 1B scenario. Does he really want that limelight on him, or is he happy being the big star in Toronto? Well, I think the problem with L.A., too, is that he wouldn't be the big star because LeBron would be there. Right. So even if he went, went go to go, go to the Clippers, I just think the from a cultural standpoint, I don't see Doc Rivers giving him what he, Kawhi Leonard needs mm-hmm. as far as what Kawhi would want, and that's why I, I think he would stay. And now, that being said... Well, let's flip it, too, because now Philadelphia has big things coming their way. Tobias Harris, free agent. Uh, Jimmy Butler, also pending free agent. And now, what do you do with Brett Brown? Because there's been talk in the organizations that they would let Brett, Brett Brown go. I Philly has got a very odd offseason coming up. Very odd. Very, very odd. Very key, too. Oh, yeah, because this is – I don't want to say it's make or break. I think that's too strong of a statement. Well, they went all in. Let's not forget. They went all in this year. Yeah, especially with the Jimmy Butler acquisition. Yep. When you trade and you make that many moves to go get him. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't a free agency move, but now he's looking at free agency. And they took and they traded a lot to get Tobias Harris, too. Right. This is going to be very tricky. I don't really know what you do. I You can't blow up the team. And I'm not saying they're they're going to. I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm stressing that right. But I think you have to make some player decisions if you want to maybe start moving a couple guys. Maybe. I, I just don't know where though. I mean, that's the, that's the big question. I think what they need truly is either to move Ben Simmons back to the four and let him just be a point forward and and bring in another true point guard to to be the point guard and have Tobias Harris come off the bench or or let him go and have Jimmy be in that position. But I think they need to get a true point guard. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a true, like, not Andre Miller type where it's, you know, pass first only, yep. but maybe like a George Hill circa like 2012 
where he could give you 20 and 10 and and have a good night. You know, not George Hill today. It's got to be 2012 George Hill. Right. They're going to have to do something, like I say, to get the right pieces in there because obviously Jimmy Butler, I don't know if he stays now or not. I don't know either. That's, I, I mean, he, he had an interview the other day where they talked about quote-unquote team chemistry, and he was like, it doesn't matter to me. I don't know that about that. Like, yeah, I mean, you, like, you want to be around people you like. Yeah, you see these people eighty-two games a day, eighty-two games a year. You kind of want to be friends with some of them. Yeah, especially like nine, ten months out of the year. Especially since what happened in Minnesota. Yeah, uh, you know, I have an odd feeling. My unofficial ODPH guess: he goes to Brooklyn. Okay, I, he doesn't go to the Knicks. He goes to Brooklyn. <sighs> With that young team. Well, the problem is if he goes to Brooklyn, then De- that means D'Angelo Russell leaves Brooklyn because Alan Crabb ex- did his uh, extension. So now they have one less max contract now. It's a tough deal, but I yeah. don't know. I like I just had this odd feeling like he 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 goes there. I don't think he goes out west. I, I you know what I could see him doing is a one and one, like uh, what Kevin Durant did. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's with a player option. That tries a- one more run and then goes. Well, it just depends if he's happy with Philly yeah. and, and what he sees down there. I mean, that's the thing. He's He's been very tight-lipped, and you really don't know what he's thinking. Right. Which, I mean, is smart on his point because he's keeping the focus on the team instead of himself. So if he does the one-and-done possibly next year, okay, I could see that happening too. But I just, like, I don't know. I got this weird feeling he's going to wind up in Brooklyn. Yeah. I don't know. Like, don't ask me how. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I, just, I sense that he's going there. But now, I mean, the Phillies, or I'm sorry, the Sixers got so many questions to answer in this offseason. Toronto has a lot going, and now they face a Giannis and Dominique. Ana de Cupo. Yeah, who, yeah, by contrast. Nailed you, it. By contrast, you had the Toronto thought, 76ers game, what, 76ers series, where you had two close games. You know, you had two blowout games, and the rest were close. This, by contrast, the closest game you had was Milwaukee's 123-116 win in game four. The rest of them were blowouts. Thoughts on this, Coach? I mean, this series is tough for Toronto. I, I mean, I understand that Kawhi is playing great. I mean, the only thing that they have for them is Siakam can play Giannis, I think, better than probably anybody on Philly could. Even though Benson's gave him a hard time, Siakam's a better defensive player and a little bit longer, so I think that that will be able to limit what Giannis can do. I'm not saying stop him, but I mean... You know, Kyle Lowry and, and Eric Bledsoe, it's probably a wash. Robin Lopez, ver, or Brooke Lopez, I'm sorry, versus Marcus Gasol, probably a wash. I mean, the the it's going to be in uh, Malcolm Brogren, who's coming back now and probably going to be able to play major minutes. Um, it's probably going to be the X factor in this series. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I think at this point, we've seen the play, what they did with Detroit, and now what they did with Boston. I think the only thing going to be able to stop Giannis is his own mother. I think this is just going to be so much of a back and forth between him and Kawhi. Like, I'm super excited just for that matchup. I don't know how much you're going to see it. I, But, you know, I think it's going to have to happen. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, there's going to be minutes where they're playing, but I don't know if it's going to be. I, I honestly think that they're going to try and keep Siakam on him mm-hmm. so Kawhi's demand on the defensive side isn't as high. But I, I just I have a sense it's going to just have to. Yeah. Like, I think just if, if hypothetically saying Milwaukee jumps out two games to nothing. Hypothetically, right? I think they're going to have to. I think it's also going to happen down, you know, down towards the end of a game, close game, where you know Toronto needs a defensive stop, 
and, and Gian, Giannis might be dominating or having a really great game, and Kawhi just goes, all right, listen, I need to shut this down. Yeah, I'm, I'm on him. I think the championship pedigree that he has and he's going to bring he brings to Toronto, he's going to step in and do that. That's going to be such a fun series to watch, though. I'm so excited about oh, this yeah. series. And then to flip the coin to Boston, Ugh. you talk about oh, team yeah, chemistry. <laughs> you, you talk about team chemistry. Kyrie is good. He's as good as gone. Uh, he's yeah. out of here. Also, you want to talk? We talked, of course, a couple weeks ago about James Harden and his shooting. I think we got to mention Kyrie Irving and his atrocious shooting. Uh, game five, he was six of twenty-one from the floor. Uh, game four, he was uh, where is it here? I lost. Oh, there it is. Uh, he was seven of twenty-two from the floor. And then in game three, he he was uh, uh, eight of twenty-two from the floor. His playoff totals uh, for this postseason uh, nine games played uh, had a field goal percentage of 38.5 percent and he averaged 21.3 points per game I mean my my biggest thing is as a Knicks fan I don't know if I want him now Ugh. I I just my biggest concern and fear is I mean the Knicks obviously looking at tomorrow night which we'll talk later into in the draft lottery with Zion you know being the number one pick I don't know if I want Kyrie around that I'm going to say yes, and I'll make it very quick because I know we're running out of time on the segment. I think Kyrie and the Celtics' relationship has just become such a situation that I don't want to say he mailed it in because I don't think that's the right thing, but I think his head is just definitely not with the team, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. And I think that everybody has been drilling him so much about, are you going to stay or are you going to go? Are you going to stay or are you going to go? That he mentally, it was so much of a factor on him that it impacted the performance. I think that now if he goes to New York, which we've been talking about, and I think it's as much of a done deal as you can make unofficially, if he gets to a situation where he is feeling comfortable and he is in his own situation, so to speak, like LeBron going to L.A. is his own team, I think Kyrie, even though he's going to be sharing time with Kevin Durant, who I think is also coming over, I think it's going to be he's he's at home and he's feeling a more comfortable situation and i think boston is going to be better for it too yeah yeah no and i think i think you're definitely have a you know you hit the nail on the head there ken because while i'm not going to sit here and say oh Kyrie mentally checked out i think he was a little bit mentally distracted because like you said people have been hounding him for i can't tell you how long what you're what are you going to do what are you going to do what are you going to do and when you're not having fun or you're frustrated i mean we've all been there in our everyday life you know whatever it is where you just want to get out of there like, yeah wherever whatever you're doing like you just want to leave you just want to go home and you just want to like just done and you just want nothing to do with it i mean yeah just from a personal thing right now i mean i i understand that the frustration and everything and he might be done with it i just to me the the venom the venom that has been created and and, and cultivated around him i'm afraid might not be just something that goes away right away so it's a concern i think for anybody going into the locker room for him to be around, especially being around young players like Alonzo Trier, Kevin Knox, Zion, and those guys, that I I fear what could happen. And then you hear the things that came out of L.A. with the coaching search and why Tyron Lue wasn't hired originally after they said he was going to be. And that was messy. And that's because of the fact that him and Kyrie did not have a good relationship while they were in Cleveland together. Yeah, which I mean, if that if you're basing off that, you're awfully going all in. Like I, I know I kind of butchered how I said that, but if you're, it's just kind of a weird situation that if you're literally basing your head coach on one player that you might not even get to come in. Right. I'm just saying, him and LeBron made up. Right. They, they put the, all that behind them, and that meme of 
Thanos and talking to Gamora in the Infinity Stones is too priceless to not pay attention to. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. But I think for Kyrie, though, I, do, I, I just don't see him going to L.A. I just don't. Because the whole reason you left, <laughs> just just to kind of tie it but in. But what brought you back to me? Yeah, exactly. He, I understand that he's had not so much success away from LeBron. I get that. I fully get that. But you left, and basically you imploded the Cavaliers' championship run because you guys couldn't play together. Winning does solve a lot of things, but if you get into the same scenario again, how do you know the history isn't going to repeat itself? And let's before we wrap, though, Ken, real quick, let's give a shout-out to Drake yes. for the fact that he fully embraced the curse. The curse lives on. The curse lives on as he wore 76er shorts during the game. That is fandom to the infinite amount. That I, is fantastic. I'll say the thing I loved about that whole thing was I got a notification on my phone or Twitter or wherever it was that said, oh, the Drake curse is over because he roots for Toronto, mm. obviously. And then not even five minutes later, the video hit Instagram of him watching the game wherever he was at, and he's wearing the 76ers shorts. And I'm like, no, the curse still lives. That is Celtic pride taken to a whole nother level. The movie Celtic Pride. Oh yes, yes. thank you. Yes, I'm sorry. I, mean, I know we're talking the Celtics. I'm like, well, if he had something to do with Kyrie leaving, yeah, no, no, and Celtic Pride, York. like being such a fan that you're willing to do something so crazy, like wearing another team's shorts to help your team win. I mean, listen, I, I am superstitious to the umpteenth degree, so there must be something to it. As long as he doesn't mess up the NBA draft lottery, that's right for the Knicks. I'm okay with that. If not. We're not play, we're not going to even mention not, not even mention him. No, he'll just get he'll just be called Aubrey. He'll just be get Thanos snap <laughs> on the show here without question. But we've given you a lot to discuss about basketball, and we haven't even gotten to the Western Conference. We're going to talk about that when we get back. But hit us up on that hashtag hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the NBA playoffs, Eastern Conference? We want to know who's your winners. Who do you think is going to be out in next season? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are still talking those NBA playoffs, but we talked about the East last segment. We talked about how Milwaukee and Toronto have a great matchup going. Philly and Boston have a lot of questions, and Kyrie is coming to the Knicks. Maybe. But now we got to flip to the other side of the coast and talk about the Western Conference. And dare I say, we talked Game 7s. Was there any better performance than C.J. McCollum in the Portland-Denver Game 7 where Portland won 100-96. to Thoughts, Pat? Holy cow. Yeah, like you said, C.J. McCollum, incredible game. 37 points, uh, nine defensive rebounds, not, excuse me, nine rebounds, uh, one assist, one steal, and one block. Incredible game. Coach? Yeah, I mean, obviously Damian Lillard was the, the hero of the OKC series, you know, while C.J. McCollum still played well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was Dame Lillard. That was his series. Now, you know, you come back in this Denver series, maybe Dame's a little bit, you know, physically, mentally a little, you know, spent after that series back and forth with Russell Westbrook. So, you know, here's C.J. McCollum. 
care put put me on put the team on my back and I'll so carry us right you. now. Yeah. And you know what? For this team too, for Portland, who has been hearing that they can't get out of the first round for how many years? Long time. And they have a great backcourt. And it goes very under the radar. I mean, it was getting to the point where they were talking about, you know, do they blow up the team or not? Right. And to think just what they've done against OKC, and I mean, that was a great series too. And, and Dame Lillard has one of the most iconic shots in history too. But to see what they did against a Denver team who scrapped, let us not say that this was a pushover game by any means. Denver was up for a good portion of the game too. Yeah. Until McCollum, I don't know what got in him, but man, did he ever put on a performance of a lifetime in that game seven. He literally put Portland on his back. And you see him playing defense, lights out defense, running down the court and stopping easy layups to flip it and then just put on the performance that he did with the points. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I really this Portland team, I'm really sh- I'm shocked by how well that they played. I mean, I know Denver gets all the credit in the world for being, you know, the two seed. They were obviously the number one seed going in almost to the last week of the playoffs. So they played a, an exceeded expectations, I would say, for this team. Mm. Um, but Portland, this team is so much fun to watch. I I love I love the the idea of this matchup going against Golden State. Um, Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum, the whole team. I mean, even. Enos Cantor, you know, they're they're great. And I think that they're going to give – they match up very well to a Kevin Durant-list Golden State team. But back – I mean, back to the series here. The biggest thing to me is that with the way that their guards are playing, that they're going to be very that, – that that's tough for any team to stop, and Denver just didn't have enough to stop this team. Yeah, they definitely showed up, but they didn't have enough. And just when some teams get rolling, as they did – I mean, it's it's almost like I don't want to say a thing of destiny, but if you think about how Portland has come into this playoffs, yeah, and they were written off for dead first round. Oh, they were, yeah, absolutely. Unless you were a diehard Trailblazers fan, you were you wrote them off. And let's be honest, it happens. But they show that they are playing with no fear. They're playing with house money. Right. They have nothing to lose, and they are scrapping every game. I would say it's almost comparable to when like there's a hot guard that goes into the NCAA tournament and can carry their team for the first like two or three rounds and then you know they all of a sudden you know it's this mid-major team that all of a sudden gets to the elite 8 and it's just because the guard play gets hot and that's what they have right now. Yeah, they definitely match I mean, up very well with them. that high pick and roll that they do with Dame Lillard where it's literally like the screen is being set at the half court and he pulls up from 34 feet. You, how do you cover that? Uh, you can't. You, you can't. can't. You can't. No matter what defense you're facing, you can't stop that. The only thing I will say and what Golden State can do is luckily that they can switch and play well defensively still. And it's not Jordan Bell. That's not the answer. No. But it's Draymond Green, who if he switches with Damian Lillard on that island, will at least be able to to stop that pick and roll a little bit, even with that pull-up jump shot, or when Kevin Durant comes back in this series, if they can switch him up to the high pick and roll, he can still cover Dame Lillard off of it. But if it's if they if Portland's smart and they consistently try to attack Jordan Bell with that type of play, or Kevin Looney, or Bogut when he's in the game, Golden State's going to be in for a long night. It's one thing when you saw, obviously they got a big task ahead of them, but when how they took care of Jokic and Murray too. Yeah, for Denver. 
Which, I mean, those guys have been playing so well together, too. Well, Jokic still play well. I mean, listen, Enos Cantor's defensive woes are still there. Oh, Let's yeah. not forget that. <laughs> oh, oh, they definitely were. But, I mean, uh, CJ McCollum's no slouch defensively. No, like I said, if it wasn't for him, oh, this game would have been a, a, a complete nightmare. Yeah, I'll say Jokic had a great uh, entire postseason. He was uh, averaging uh, just over 50% from the field and uh, just over 25 points per game. Yeah, it's a shame that he's out. I mean, he, his game's so much fun to watch. I mean, a seven-footer, as athletic as he is, the, the skills that he has to be able to pass the ball, shoot the ball, I, he's a lot of fun to watch. I wish that they weren't out west and play at 10:30, so I could see more of him play. Right, but they have such a nice young nucleus yeah, that absolutely. they built in Denver. Well, Paul Millsap obviously is there, 30 plus years old. So I mean, eventually that is going to run its tie. But Jokic is, you know, only 22. So. Yeah, but you can put some players around him. Yeah, absolutely. They I got mean, players around right, him. Right, but I mean, just obviously with Millsap. Yeah. I mean, obviously Father Time is going to be coming against him eventually. Mm-hmm. But until then. I mean, that's a great veteran to have on the court. Oh, absolutely. And Jokic, I mean, just where he can go from here is anybody's They guess. absolutely have another run in them. Oh, I without, mean, yeah. I would be, especially given that the, the what the free agency landscape is going into this year, mm-hmm. you know, with what could happen to Golden State, th- this very easily could be a Denver-ran West Coast, you know, conference finals for the next four to five years. Absolutely. I mean, everybody stays healthy, and and what they're doing out in Denver, it shouldn't be you know knocked one bit. I mean, no. you lost a game seven, but it was a great learning experience for a young team. Right, to, exactly. To see exactly. what, what Chad. I mean, obviously, it didn't go that way because the second half, when McCollum just turned it on. Yeah, you can't. I you mean, can't. you can't do anything against that. But the real question now is, can Portland take this to Golden State? Who, if we talk about teams in disarray, and and I don't even know where you go. A Houston Rocket team that could not defeat a Golden Stateless Kevin Durant team. Like, I mean, where do where do you go from here, Coach? Yeah, so if we're gonna go Houston first, I just, I you got you have to blow it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have an option. I mean, I'll say you had an excuse last year where they didn't beat him because CP3 was hurt. Okay, fine. Right. I, like, I'll I'll write that one off if if you will. This year though, you got a healthy CP3. You got a healthy James Harden. I can't. I hadn't heard of any lingering injuries or nagging injuries from anybody on the Houston side. And then you had on the fact that Kevin Durant was out for this game, and you still couldn't do it. Yeah, Houston. Done. Houston. Houston scrapped. But you know what? When you have an opportunity to close it out, right? And, and especially when the best player on Golden State. And let's be honest. And you're playing at home. Yeah, you're playing at home. Your opposing team does not have their best player on the court. And it's saying Seth and Steph Curry's playing with a bum finger. Yeah, and he's o for like sixteen the first oh, half. It's like Curry's line is not the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I might be able to shoot better than this if you give me a million shots. He went nine for twenty from the floor, four for eleven from three, and eleven for eleven from the free throw line. But that first quarter was like one for eleven. Oh yeah, yeah. So with our first half. So for Houston, yeah, you have to blow up the team. Yeah, there's no excuse anymore. So you keep Harden and everybody else is, is fair game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but the only problem is you signed CP3. I think his contract is yeah. going to hold you back a little yeah. bit. I mean, I still think you could probably move that with the right, you know, to the right team that might need a veteran point guard. Hello, Philadelphia. But um, I, I think that you keep compel. I think you keep Capella, mm-hmm. and I think you keep C- and you keep James Harden, obviously. Yeah, and then everybody else is up for discussion. Everybody else is expendable. I mean, even if you want to make a coaching move and, and get a new one in, over Dan yeah. Tony, I you mean, know, it, I, it's it, it, it's it's the, it's debatable. I'm I not know. Saying, I'm not saying he should be fired, but it has to come up in discussion. I think. It, I mean, the the the. 
the stigma of D'Antoni is not being able to win the big one. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think that is still hanging over his head very much right now after this series. I mean, yeah. at home, can't win game six. But I think his system works so well with James Harden that it's like if you bring anybody else in, does he still have the creative mindset to be able to utilize James Harden the way that he is? Yeah, that's the problem. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems they have because for Houston moving forward, you have to change something drastic because this loss is going to haunt them. We talk about sports psychology and when a bad loss lingers around a team for years. I mean, we even kind of talked about it lately when the Patriots came back against the Atlanta Falcons and yeah. how Atlanta yeah. has not recovered. I know we're talking different sports, but same thing. No, it's we're, real. It's it's, it's a, so real. It's a real thing. His uh, James Harden's comments after the game were very, very telling. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was definitely like a guy who was like, I don't have an answer. Like, I just don't well, have well, anything. It's, it's the situation you hear a lot of times in life where like, oh, don't leave anything to chance leave it all out on the floor on the field on the whatever mm-hmm. it is you are doing don't leave any doubt in your mind that you could have given a little bit more james harden gave 120 percent, and it wasn't good enough he did everything he could physically emotionally like he he's, yeah. he was drained we, t- we talked about players being drained earlier no no he was drained at the end of this game We'll say in 11 games, he was averaging 31.6 points per game, uh, 2.2 steals per game, and 6.6 assists per game with 6.8 rebounds per game. That's everything he can and then some. Right. The other players needed to do something to offset it a little bit, and they just didn't have it. And for whatever reason, I mean, you have to say one thing about Golden State is they weathered the storm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You you can't knock their performance in this series. I mean – Andre Iguodala is such. I mean, I know that he won the MVP in that, um, you know, that NBA Finals four years ago, but he still is doing things at a high level that you would think somebody that you know really doesn't have a consistent three point shot, doesn't really have the ability to finish at the rim like he once did. He still is playing at a high level for this team. He's playing at an extreme level, and especially with how banged up the Warriors are. Right. The yeah. fact that Curry's banged up. Thompson has been yeah, hit or miss. Hit or miss. He has not been exactly at 100% here. Durant, obviously the injury going into him. But before that, I mean, to beat Durant was not even heard of. I, I loved it on the broadcast because they said, like, I think it might have been Weber who was, like, uh, midway through the thing, uh, midway through the game when they put uh, Looney into the game because Looney hadn't been playing, you know, any minutes. And he was like, you know, if you, if you talk to Kerr and you were talking about having to play Quinn Cook and Kevin Looney big minutes, how would you think Steve Kerr would feel about that? Oh, so you bring up the Kevin Durant injury. Uh, Ramona Shelburne of ESPN is reporting, quote, Kevin Durant is out for at least game one of the Western Conference Finals, sources tell ESPN. He's not being reevaluated until Thursday, so it's unlikely he plays game two either. Uh, if there's an opportunity for us to see what Portland is made of, here's your opportunity. Yeah, well, Portland's got to take one of these two. Well, they have to. They have to. They have yeah. to. I mean, as much as a feel-good story is against Denver, and their playoff run right now, I mean, they are the Cinderella team in this playoffs. Make no question about that. They have to at least split. The they game. got if they don't win this, if they don't win a game in the first two, it's done. It's, it's done. They're gonna get swept because Durant's going to be back for game three. Yeah, and they will win game three and game four with him there. Yeah, we, not a question. Because the problem is every like when you look. All right, so when you talk Bogut versus Enos Cantor, wash. Yeah, Draymond Green versus. Uh, Badamute or Al Farouk Aminu, eh, that's a wash. 
Uh, Harris versus Andre Iguodala. Okay, that's a fair matchup. That's a fair matchup. Dame Willard, C.J. McCollum. That complete or Clay uh, Thompson versus C.J. McCollum. Complete wash. Steph Curry versus Damian Lillard. Now, Damian Lillard has the advantage there because Steph's not very good defensively, so that's going to cause an issue matchup-wise. But it's still, at the end of the day, it's like Steph Curry's still going to go off too. Yeah. So with Kevin Durant not in, that's the X factor. Yeah, you have to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I'm saying if Portland can somehow jump out to 2 nothing, I don't see him doing it. I don't see it. I know, but I, if they do. If oof. they do, then... It's anybody's series. This is a Golden State team that really hasn't been behind like that either. No. So to have to have some grit the way that they did. Now, mind you, that going on the road, winning that game in Houston without Kevin Durant absolutely shows toughness. Oh, it's huge. But this is a whole nother level. Being down 2-0, losing both games in your own building without your star player, and now having to face, really, you would have to win the next four in a row. Yeah. It's, it's an uphill battle no matter what. But right. for Portland... You have to win at least one of these. For, yeah, that goes without saying. Yeah, the two, you're golden. One, you need. Yeah, one you need because if you go down 0-2, forget about it. Yeah, it, it's done. And Portland's bench is better than Golden State's bench. Yeah, exactly. Portland is not getting enough credit. They no. they should be going into this. I know that they're huge underdogs right now, and I think everybody's writing them off. I'm saying they have a chance, but they need to play at that level they did against. Denver in Game 7. They need somebody. It doesn't have to be Lillard. It doesn't have to be McCollum, but somebody has to really step their game up to balance out. Because if you're going head-to-head with the Warriors, they have the pedigree. They've been here. They're battle-tested. They're going to show up. You're not going to have this opportunity with Kevin Durant on the bench happen for your entire series. I don't see it happening. I see him playing again this series at some point. But if he's on the bench, that's a huge weapon they have that's not in the arsenal. Especially with how bad their bench, how how well, let's just say this, how how not great their bench is. Because mm-hmm. Golden State with Iguodala having to start, their bench is just depleted. Yes, that one guy, literally. I mean, Sean Livingston, for as great as he has been in the resurgence that his career has had post that terrible leg injury is just not anything to write home about coming off your bench. Mm-hmm. He gives you minutes. He'll give you minutes. But, but he ain't going to do anything out, outlandish and special. Right. This is where Portland needs to take full advantage of it. I'm say we're also getting some history in these Western Conference Finals because I believe I read this morning this is the first yep. time in NBA history two brothers will face off in uh, Conference Finals. Yeah, Steph Curry and Seth Curry. Yeah, so. which I love the thing I read this morning. Somebody uh, asked the parents w- what jersey they were going to wear. Uh, they said they were going to flip a coin to decide which parent wore what jersey. They're obviously going to wear both jerseys, but they're going to flip a coin. So let me ask this in closing. Who do you got in this series? Uh, yeah, Golden State in seven. Uh, first of all, Milwaukee, I'm going to go within the Eastern Conference because we didn't get a chance to talk about that. Milwaukee's going to win in six. Okay. All right? I'm going to go Golden State in six as well. For the Eastern Conference, uh, since you brought that up, I'm going to say Milwaukee in five. I think I snuck mine in this and Milwaukee was going to do it. But I, I agree. I think Milwaukee is going to get through Toronto. And then I think I as much as I'm, I'm rooting for the underdog with Portland, I, and I really am. I, I'm not that I don't like Golden State, but I just have this feeling that Kevin Durant is going to want to win Golden State one more championship before he joins Kyrie oh boy, he into the Knicks. And I think that this one's going to go seven. I think Portland is going to show a lot of their naysayers wrong, and I think they're going to win a couple games they shouldn't. This this has the potential of being a very special series. 
Yes. Oh, I, I, it could be. I mean, honestly, the offensive talent that's going to be on the floor, we honestly could be looking at games one thirty to one twenty. Oh, easily. Oh, easy, <laughs> easily. This could be one of the most high scoring series you're going to see in NBA history. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to be a video game. It sheet could even mode. go four. It could even go game four games. Like Golden State could sweep it out, and they could be running big numbers. We're talking about teams that have gone into overtime, and Portland isn't phased by that. Portland will scrap with you. This isn't going to be your dad, your mom's 1994 New York Knicks run where it was like 82 to 78 slugouts. This is going to be like 130 to 120. Uh, Just to let you know, if it's 130 to 120, it's not even going to come close to the all-time NBA scoring record. What? Uh, highest scoring NBA game ever was the Detroit Pistons beat the Denver Nuggets by a final score. I won't even ask you. Right. To guess. I'm, well, I'm saying playoffs. Oh, this right. is this is just NBA period. Yeah. Uh, the final score was 186 to 184. I'm saying I'm saying over a series though that this is definitely going to be the most points scored in a series bar none. Oh yeah, in a series, I'll I'll give you that. It's going to look like an NBA All Star game. Oh, yeah, so asterisk on this game though. It, it was a triple overtime. Game. Yeah, but you know. But either way, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Portland should call Drake and make sure you can throw on some Golden State gear <laughs> yeah. just, just for the good luck. Just some underneath. Just yeah. just something underneath. But there's so many great storylines going on with the NBA playoffs. I mean, this is just fun to fun to watch as fans going into the playoffs and just seeing how the teams are matching up because there are some new faces in. Yeah, it's almost fun not having LeBron in it. Yeah. It, uh, it's like kind of like refreshing. It is because you finally see some teams take full advantage of him not being there. And and don't get me wrong, that run that LeBron had last year was tremendous. But oh, when yeah. he ran into that buzzsaw that was Golden State last year, that just that was bad. Milwaukee or Toronto can easily push this Golden State team to seven games, which is which will be what's gonna that's yeah, gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And like honestly, I would not doubt Milwaukee bringing home the chip. As crazy as it sounds, I'm, why not? Why is that crazy? Giannis yeah. Antetokounmpo is easily a nightmare for Golden State. Oh, he is. But to see him get this far, he's got to get through Toronto and Golden State. They have to beat a very very scrappy Portland team. I am also that. undefeated in saying his last name. Yes, give it up to Coach Duffy. Let him know on Twitter. Hit him up at OD Parlay Hour. But hit us up on the hashtag too, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the Western Conference playoffs? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, Check out Robocon.org. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and there is some great MMA action that happened this weekend. Yeah, there was. I did cover on the blogs on Parlay Points. You can find that on OchoDuroParlayHour.com about Bellator 221 and what a great card they had. But not to be outdone, UFC 237. Definitely had some highlight moments, too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to break down a couple of the fights that we covered last week. Now, first was, dare I say, the nostalgic fight. Oh, yeah. God. Clay Guida, BJ Penn. Ugh. Yeah, Penn, you got, you got the results for that? Yeah, Clay Guida defeated BJ Penn by unanimous decision 29-28, 29-28, and 29-27. That was rough. It was rough. rough. I, I'm just I'm putting this out there, and I, I don't mean this against BJ at, at, at any situation. Listen, you you have a Hall of Fame career. Please, please don't just just stop. right off the, just, just right stop. Off, yeah, you, just stop. You have a very fond 
place in a lot of MMA fans' memory over the years. Many fights, many highlights, many wins, many submissions, and everything else. This, don't tarnish your legacy by continuing. You know, don't go the Brett Favre route where Brett Favre should have retired before that final season, and really like it was it was kind of ugly to watch. Like, stay retired. Like, coach. It'd be great to see you maybe in uh, you know ringside at the octagon coaching a guy. That's fine. But it's it's not fun as a fan to watch you come out and fight anymore. As as mean as that might sound, it's true. I saw a great headline today that was like, BJ Penn and Clay Guida are the reason why MMA fighters should f- retire early than later. Yeah, and I've I've I have to agree. I I I love both these fighters. I mean, they are. If you want to talk about highlights, you can go through the past of the UFC. And they definitely have standout moments throughout their careers. At this stage, it's for the CMBJ fight, and especially this is his seventh consecutive loss, which I believe is either tied or set a UFC record. I mean, I have such fond memories of watching BJ Penn those early Spike TV days mm-hmm. and some of the fights that he had and some of the you know classic you know matches that he had. Now it's just like, ugh. Yeah, it just I I just I don't want to see him do it anymore, and it's nothing against him personally because, like I said, I am a huge BJ Penn fan. But at, at this stage, it's it's just no. I'm just I I'm I'm going to even segue this and jump a little ahead to the Anderson Silva fight, where he definitely I I don't want to say he's at that point, but I just I don't want to see him do it again. I I think it might not be age might be a part of it. Yeah, he, no, it's he's, father time. It's father time. I think it's also the tread in the tires. It's the mileage on the legs. It's you know, it, it's it's just everything's catching up to him. I th- I thought I saw a headline after this too that they were already lining up like his next three fights. They might try to, but I mean, he he hurt himself with his knee. He couldn't you know he was just he looked in rough shape. I'll say they might try to, but I think they also might be reaching a point where like you have to start considering the man's well being and health, given the fact that he just had a leg injury. He's he just turned forty four years old back in on April fourteenth. Like, what more are you really going to get out of the guy at this point? It's it's legacy fights are he's not going to have a title run in him no i mean the problem i think there's a two thing with that though because i think the ufc has been good about knowing when to cut a guy off but at the same time they haven't you know it's like they saw the writing on the wall with tito and chuck they mm-hmm. want nothing to do with that garbage you know when they were trying to get it on ufc tv and but then you see this and then you're like do you guys have the best things in mind for people it, it's the argument because like you, you touched upon too and you hit it brilliantly they knew when about Chuck Liddell. They yeah. they knew. And to see this happen now with BJ, and he's still, like I said, this is, I believe, his seventh consecutive loss. Right. And now with Anderson Silva being on that other side of 40 and obviously having a really bad knee injury and in, in his loss on the card, this is one of those situations where the UFC just has to kind of go, okay, we need to restructure, we need to refigure where you're going to go if you're still going to be with us here. And I think just at this point, it's just father time is caught up with both of those guys. Yeah. It's nothing against them personally. They have legacy. You want to talk about GOAT conversations, they are in the GOAT conversations oh, respectively. For sure. Say, yeah, wherever you rank them is based on your own personal preference. Right. So that being said, I don't know what the future has to go for them. Um, I'm just kind of hoping just for their own health and well, you know, wellness moving forward that the, you know, this is it. And I think Michael Bisping actually touched upon it in the post-fight speech to, or um interview show that he said he thinks this is the last time we see Anderson fighting and I, you know what I hope he's right there's nothing personal just yeah this no, stage, nothing why? nothing personal I'd rather see him go out on a loss than have him go out on a more gruesome injury than what he had and then be like yeah no he had to retire because of that 
Yeah, because there's just no point. It's honestly to just to fight to fight just doesn't make any sense, and especially for what they've done over their careers, both of them respectively. I mean, take nothing away from Jared Cognier. I mean, obviously, it was a huge win for him. Oh yeah, God, huge feather in the cap. Right, but I mean, honestly, yeah, it, but is it though? I mean, it's just a name on your card, you know. It, it's still a marquee name. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. But that's but the that's thing. the thing though. It's a marquee name. It's not anything like, you know, like. It, if somebody beat John in his prime, John Jones, I mean, you just beat John Jones in his prime. Like that means something. But yeah, like at this stage, at this stage, like is beating Anderson Silva or or BJ Penn really anything to be like? I beat them. Yeah, because you they, know, yeah, I mean, they might they might not be proud of it, and they might be like, yeah, listen, I beat you know Anderson Silva, but he was you know over the age of forty and yada yada yada. But like, it's still like nobody's going to remember that when you see the the you know bio or whatever you want to call it on TV on the internet it you know major wins it's still going to list Anderson Silva right but right. that's just a that's a media thing i mean i think the smart fans would know like yeah. yeah that doesn't mean nothing right so obviously moving forward it's going to be interesting to watch for all those guys and then in the featherweight division Alexander Volnovsky won uh, by unanimous decision over Jose Aldo. Yeah, huge win for him. Huge win for him. Now 7-0 and in the UFC. Now that's a big win. Now <laughs> yes. that, well, Aldo is on the back end of his career. He's already talked about retiring after a few more fights. Last I heard, I could, if I'm wrong, hit me up on ODPH hashtag and let me know. But last I heard, he was kind of thinking you know, about slowly but surely stepping back. And obviously, this is kind of a big deal, too, because this is his first non-title loss in the UFC for Aldo. Yeah. And this is also his first decision loss, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, from what? Decision loss, yeah, it's looking like it. Yes. So, that being said, Volonovsky has a big future going ahead of him. Dare I say, does he go and uh, have a little rendezvous with Mr. Max Holloway? Uh, he's got an argument for it. It's a definite argument, so we'll have to kind of wait and see in that. And then the main event. Oh, my God. Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas. Oh, my God. And one of the wildest finishes I have seen in a while. I'm I'm just going to say one word. Ow. Yeah, I saw your post about the neck, and I was like, oh, boy. So I had to watch the video, and it was scary. It was downright scary. Now, yeah, I caught yeah, I caught the highlight because I wasn't able to watch it live. But, like, I can just kind of, like, read Rose's face going through that whole, you know, scenario. And uh, on her face is, oh, bleep, oh, bleep, oh, bleep, oh, bleep. <laughs> oh, no, I'm in the air. I'm in the air. Where am I going? Well, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, let me say this from first and foremost. For Rose, she she hasn't looked better. She looked amazing oh, in, yeah. in the first round. Like her striking was so on par, and like it looked like Andrade was in trouble. It honestly did, and I thought this was next round. It was going to be quick and over, but Andrade grounded Rose with a high leg slam, and just it almost it almost looked like a twelve six slam. Almost it was close. It, it was, but it was a legal it was a legal slam, and Rose got knocked out. There is no shame in this. I'll say something tells me she didn't quite plan for that. No. <laughs> I, who would? Who would plan for it? I mean, how many times have we seen slam knockouts in a while? I mean, nothing's like Rampage Jackson. We've seen people try it, but like oh, they, I, yeah, they, I, they try it, but like either they change their mind or like the other guy counters it and it never happens. Right. But to see it actually happen in this and in the women's strawweight title 
is now in the hands of Jessica Andrade. So congratulations to her. Rose, I mean, after the fight, it kind of was sound like she's going to take some time off and reevaluate. Uh, she's she's earned it, and Lord knows she probably wants to get that ne- that injury, you know, her neck checked out to make sure there's not anything lasting. Oh, I would say so. After I, you, you definitely say a rematch, though. Uh, oh yeah, if, if Rose is up for it. If Rose is up for it, I would definitely do that. Um, I mean, the only thing you can argue though is. Jerzejczyk is still in that division. Uh, yeah, and, that's true. And this is the first time, if I'm not looking at the stat sheet, I believe this is the first time Namajunas has defended and it hasn't been against Jerzejczyk. So this is, I don't know if it necessarily would entitle an instant rematch. I'd be okay with it. Don't get me wrong. But I think now you have to do Andrade versus Jerzejczyk. Yeah. And, that's, and then when that fight happens, look out. Great action, though, on UFC 237, but to hit on quickly, there were two big fight announcements since we last recorded. Mm-hmm. Donald Cowboy Cerrone oh boy. is stepping up to fight Tony Ferguson ah. on a fight night. Ah. Big time. And he's petitioning to get five rounds yeah. for this. <laughs> oh, salute to you, Mr. Cerrone. Uh, this one is going to hurt a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm needing bandages myself just thinking about it. But... I'm just saying, and I'm putting this energy out there. Both fighters, please stay healthy and yeah. just get to the fight. I yeah, need, I, Ferguson's got that history. I, I know. I haven't seen Habib Ferguson. I need to see this at some point in my life. But Cerrone Ferguson, look out. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not even ready to make a prediction. I just need to know if it's going to be five rounds. When when that happens, oh, we will fully cover that. I'll, on say, I'll make a prediction. Someone's losing teeth. <sighs> I, I I tell you what the the fact that this is not going to be the main event on that card is just that's a, a, that's a crime. It, it's a crime, but it's not. But it, it it's just uh, UFC. Well done, well done for this one. I, I I'm going to try containing my excitement on this one. <laughs> and lastly, it was announced on by Dana White that Nate Diaz is returning to the cage to fight Anthony Showtime Pettis. War Stockton. Oh, this one. This, this just makes me happy because it's two of my favorite guys fighting. I don't even have a prediction about this. I, I It's going to be fun. I've heard that there's some rumor that maybe it's not 100% official yet. I Just make it happen. Let them go. I think they're going to fight at 170. I'm all for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is just going to be some fun striking, and I can't wait for this to go down, and I believe it's in August. Either way, this fight just needs to get happen. It just needs to get signed. I need to see the promotional poster, and then we will go fully <laughs> off promotional I just, material. I just, I just want yes. the press conferences. That's all I want. Oh, I want the press conferences too. Like I said, I saw the Instagram post, so it's not like the official official, but it was announced. So if we can make this happen, I'm putting the karma out there. Granted, I'd rather see Zion get to the Knicks first, so I'm going to focus on that. Yeah, focus but, that karma there. Focus that. But after there. that, we're going to talk about this fight later. But we just hit you off with a lot of UFC information, so hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on UFC 237? Where do you think the fighters go from here? And what's your thoughts on the two fights we just talked about? We want to know. So hit us up when we come back from break. You are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Hey, this is Vince, the Calaman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast.
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, kick us off in the local minute. Well, if we're talking local minute, we got to talk a little Binghamton Rumble Ponies news now. They were supposed to have uh, a game uh, on tonight as we record against Altoona. However, that was postponed uh, because of rain. Uh, they will have a doubleheader on Tuesday the 14th against Altoona. They will have the final game of that series against Altoona on uh, the 15th. However, that looks like that game is sold out because that is the baseball and education game where all the kids from the local schools go down. So you might have to tune in on the radio for that one. But, but then they t- they uh, head out of town this weekend to play a four-game series against the Trenton Thunder, a little minor league subway series action. Uh, then they travel to Bowie to play a three-game series with that before they return home next weekend to play a four-game series against the Trenton Thunder. BingRP.com for more information. Get out and support the Rumble Ponies. You can get to the game. Stadium is looking great, folks. Yeah. So definitely get down there and experience the games for yourself. So I'm going to kick off running the, running the bases for our show today. Okay. So obviously I alluded to a little bit. I did a blog about Bellator 221, but I kind of want to touch upon one fight in particular that is on that blog. You can find that on OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Look for Parlay Points. Look for ODPH Extra. You can read all about it there. But the one fight was one Jack Hager Okay. made his second appearance for Bellator. Okay. And dare I say... We had a heel turn, so to speak, like in the world of pro wrestling. A little bit. So Hager was facing TJ Jones mm-hmm. in a heavyweight competition, and he did choke him out. And the crowd was booing him very loudly at the end of the fight, which I thought was a little not warranted. It was an interesting decision. It was an interesting call, but he immediately went into a wrestling promo. And then I then that was like the takeaway from the fight, which I don't think is right. But let me ask both Pad and Coach Duffy, since they are big wrestling fans, when a when a wrestler comes over into the world of MMA, mm-hmm. what is like the general reaction? Do you think that they feel they need to do promos, or do you think it's just kind of just you know natural instinct, or what do you think is the takeaway from this fight and just how this is the big headline? I think because a lot of instances we've seen, you know, the CM Punks, the Jack Hagers, and you can go through the list where they've done a lot of pro wrestling before they get to mixed martial arts, Bellator, UFC, whatever it is. I think it's just kind of natural habit for them when they're facing a booing crowd because they did one for so long where that's your instinct with the booing crowd when you're in professional wrestling is you is you say something negative towards them. I don't think he. I think he might not have intended it or come off that way. But like that was just, that's just his natural instinct, Coach. Yeah, I think um, that it's actually beneficial for them as far as a yeah. promotional standpoint. I mean, they're coming into uh, you know from a quote unquote scripted world with the outcomes already done into this world of hand to hand combat, and you know for them they're pretty much already vilified you know, as being the outsider in this, you know, coming into this business that I think being able to fact that they can talk just benefits them. I mean, you see guys who have done it before, you know, with Punk or, you know, a guy like Batista or uh, Brock Lesnar that, you know, the fact that they've had this, you know, in their background, they've been able to, you know, almost not only just win over the crowd, but if they are booing them, win over the crowd that's booing them because they can just out-talk them. Well, and especially where you see some fighters, and this isn't a knock on them in any way, shape, or form. This is just my observation, where you have a lot of fighters where whoever is interviewing them for whatever federation it is gets up there after their fight, and the guy goes, uh, well, and then they kind of go to their answer. These guys can think on their feet, and they can come up with something at the drop of a dime and just spit something off the top of their head. Exactly. Yeah, this is one thing that I, 
when I heard it, I didn't really get fired up about it. And I wasn't like, oh, it's disrespectful to the sport or you know, anything. Because I know that was a lot of the social media takeaway was, oh, he's cutting a wrestling promo. He turned heel. And yeah, it was but like, look who's the, arguably the, the one of the best people at doing that is Conor McGregor. Right. And everybody loves him. That's what I was saying. Or going, everybody loves to hate him. Yeah. If you want to think about it, you can if you have a decent ability. And Hager is a great wrestler. I'm sorry, I want to throw Cormier's name in with that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Him oh, too. Oh, I'll, I'll give you names in just a second. But for, for Jake Hager there, you take a look at he has the wrestling ability. Yeah. And he's doing the training. I forget what camp he's at. But he is now embracing, okay, what do I need to do to get myself further up the card, so to speak, on Bellator? Okay, I can cut interviews. I can be like a Chael Sonnen who is the king yeah. of promotions yeah. in MMA. Yeah. There's no question of it. No. Conor McGregor, you think how further his career has been since he can cut promos like nobody's business. I'll I mean, say, that Floyd fight was promoted by him. Right. Yeah, I would say he's Jack's also behind the eight ball a little bit just because there's a lot of stigma in people's minds that pro wrestling guys can't do this. Okay, yes, jo- uh, Brock Lesnar did it. Brock Lesnar's a freak athlete. Let's not Let's not... You know, oh, yeah. cut it any other way. But you just had well, CM Punk for a lot of diehard MMA fans is still kind of fresh in the mind when you think WWE guys trying mixed martial arts and they're going, all right, Punk, CM Punk tried this and look how awful he was. What have you got? How are you going to be any better? So he's almost fighting the eight ball. He is fighting the eight ball, but he does have the great amateur background. That's true. Right. From being that's University true. of Oklahoma. So, I mean, he has a feather in his cap going into it. I mean, that's one of the elements of MMA. So to see where he goes from here, he's generated enough buzz I'd like to see him get into their heavyweight Grand Prix tournament whenever that comes I, about. Yeah, I want to see him actually fight somebody at this point. Yeah, and I think that now he's kind of generated enough buzz that I think he does get a bigger name, so to speak, right. in, in the Bellator rankings. I don't have a, an opponent picked out, but I think just the fact that the takeaway, like just a lot of the social media that I was reading was like, oh, he's cutting a wrestling promo or whatever. That's not a bad thing because look at how many times you see other fighters cutting promos. That's just those are petty people just pointing out the fact that he was a wrestler that are just petty. Yeah, and I think that it's unwarranted. I mean, if you want to be mad, the argument was he held a choke too long, but he explained it. Haters gonna hate. He doesn't have the history of it that we've seen yet, so I I can't even say that that was a bad call, you know, to for that kind of reaction. If he's if he's continued to hold holds on too long, all right, then that's a different story for another time. But I think for the fact that he was cutting a promo and he was dealing with the crowd and he was interacting, he had a very interesting post-fight interview. You can look on Dazen or Dazone. I know I go back and forth <laughs> ah, about that. Yes. But you can find it on there. You can find it online. Either way, I think Hager had a definite interesting future that got laid out after Saturday night's great card. And the action on Bellator 221, I can't get speak enough of. You can read it on the blog. And the knockout that heard around the world, Douglas Lima knocked Michael Venom Page out. I literally thought the man might have died. He hit him that hard. Yeesh. And he went limp. Coach, I'm going to show you because I know you walked in late right. to see it after. But we, I know you're chomping at the bit. Pat is actually passing the mic to you. So, yeah, you're practically throttling me Guys, for the mic on this one. So, end the show, bro. Ken, Adam Silver and the NBA board holds the weight of the world and the weight of the Knicks fans in their arms tomorrow night at 7.30 with the draft lottery. Yep. They changed the rules, people. Uh-oh. Let's let's get this out of the way. Uh-oh. It used to be if you had the number one, if you were the worst team in the league, you had like a 17% chance of getting the ping pong ball your way. So I'm looking at an article from CBSSports.com. Uh, that looks like it's not the case. No, it's not. Now it's 14. Yep. And you share that with the bottom three teams, which is Phoenix, 
and Chicago. I'll say I can't confirm. There is an actual article on CBSSports.com, kind of like giving you like a TLDR, too long didn't read version of like the NBA draft lottery, and it does list like all three teams. Coach mentioned the Knicks, the Cavaliers, and the Phoenix Suns all have the same percent chance for both a top four pick and the number one pick. Here's the concern. Seems kind of BS. Here's the worry that the Knicks fall to three. Oh boy. We can't Could we happen. Can't take that as Knicks fans. We've had enough disappointment. They're doing things right. They're tanking correctly. They bottomed out. They lost games. They lost games good. They lost some games bad. I'll say they lost games in spectacular fashion. We as fans deserve this. And ironically, it's the thirty five or whatever year anniversary of the frozen envelope of a one Patrick Ewing, arguably one of the greatest centers of all time who fell as a gift from God to the Knicks. This is what we need. Zion is our gift. He is our resurgence. He is the savior. He is the Messiah like Mark Messier was. He will be the leader into the next generation for your kids. We've suffered enough. Don't make the next generation have to deal with what we've dealt. I'll say he's a gift and a savior as long as his shoes hold up. Let's be Listen, real. whatever. He, he's got enough shoe contracts right now that he, he's got his pickings. We just need him to be healthy and last. This has been enough. This has been torment. And we've been the laughing stock. And now the Lakers are slowly taking that title away from us. That's true. So now is the time to strike. We have to. I I don't know how much more karma we can put out into the world. I mean, Allen Houston's going to yeah. be in the actual selection room. I talk about an all-time great Nick. Arguably one of the best shooting guards to ever play the game, whose career was ended because of a uh, terrible knee injury that he just couldn't recoup from. And now we got Patrick Ewing, who's going to be in the actual uh, announcement room. What more do you need, universe? So you have to do whatever it takes. That's right. I mean, short of getting the Infinity Stones and snapping so half the population disappears, I don't know what else they can do. This is one of those things as Knicks fans. We're all holding our bated breath. Oh, it's it's brutal. Because there's a chance Cleveland could get the pick. There's a chance Phoenix can get the pick. We'll say there's a chance Washington, the Washington I mean, Wizards could get the yeah, pick. Yeah, there's a very good chance a lot of teams could and, get the and, pick. And this is one of those drafts that we, we're all focused in on Zion. Because Zion is so far a once-in-a-generation talent. Right. Yeah, the, the tape would lead you to believe so. Right. So to get him to the mecca known as Madison Square Garden is huge. The Knicks are all locked in on this. If they don't get this for whatever reason, what is the backup plan? All right, so all right, we're talking plan B's here. We're talking about, you know, traveling back in time here. So let's go. My next thing would be I would want RJ Barrett because I feel well, first off, all right, hold on. If it falls to two, I'm trading the pick. I'm I'm packaging this. Kevin Knox. Not Mitchell Robinson. You trade him, and I will just I will find you. Mitchell Robinson stays on this team. You package Kevin Knox, you package Damian Dotson, and you give him this first-round pick, and you give him the two Mavs pick that you just got, and you ship him for Anthony Davis. Goodbye. Sorry. I, I, I like you, Anthony. I, I like you, Knox. But, I mean, it's a win-now type situation. So in comes that. If you don't do that, then R.J. Barrett is my pick. I, I'm with if you. You're two, if you're two. If you're two. If you're two. If you're two. But I'm feeling we're going to be one. It's been 34 years since Patrick Ewing. I was close. All right. So 34. Joined, All right. Yeah, since 85. 85 was the first year of the draft. 
this is so monumental, and the talent coming out. I mean, J- or Jay Morant, Barrett. I mean, you just the list goes on and on. Darius Garland from Vanderbilt, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. Uh, and now here's the deal, though: if the Knicks don't get one, the team that the Knicks need to get one is Phoenix, because I think Phoenix is set on Jay Morant. They need a point guard on that team desperately. DeAndre Ayton already plays a similar game to Zion, so I don't think that benefits them at all. So I really and I an argue Jay Morant is a number one pick too. So it's not like if they select Jay Morant over Zion, it's like that big of a deal to me. It's it's Kevin it's Kevin Durant and Greg Oden when they both came out because Oden was a number one pick. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. Like people bash on Portland for picking him, At but that he time, was a number one pick. Yeah, at that time you can't bash him. So. I think Jay Morant fits Phoenix and what they need because they need somebody to get Devin Booker off ball. So, God, if it happens, it's got to be Phoenix number one and Knicks two at least. Because if it's any other order, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. We're going to be live on Twitter that night at OD Parlay Hour, so definitely follow our Twitter account and you can watch the reactions come very fast in 162 characters because, <laughs> trust us. I just, I mean, it's... It's just finally. It feels good because this is the first time in a long time. I mean, I know we're Knicks fans, Ken. We mm-hmm. we talked the Knicks. This is the first time in a long time there's been legitimate hope. I mean, they found legitimate talent in the second round with Mitchell Robinson. They found undrafted talent in Alonzo Trier. You know, the word is still out on Kevin Knox and what he's exactly going to be. Damian Dotson was another guy who was a second round pick. They've done things right right now with limited resources from prior regimes that it's like. We deserve this, damn it. We do. And the, and the karma is there because the Rangers got the number Whoa, two Whoa, easy, pick. easy. That might have blown everything no, up no, for No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It was a new year, new vibe, new everything. <laughs> it's like a new car smell almost. It's just everything's new. This is the time we're going to strike. We are going to land Zion number one. The karma is there with Patrick Ewing, Allen Houston. He, he needs to pay it forward. I still haven't forgiven him for 95. If that it, finger roll is still not forgotten by th- me. Th- this is what we'll get forgiven when they go and with the first if pick. If he gets us the first round pick, Patrick Ewing, for all the things that you did, I still love you, but I've never forgiven you for that finger roll. Tuesday, May 14th, 8.30 Eastern. Oh, 8.30. That's so late. Yeah. Eight, oh, God. 8.30 on oh, ESPN. Stay up. On ESPN. Check it out. You can watch the live reaction because it's going to go down. The Knicks putting the karma out there. Number one pick. Hit us up on that hashtag, though. Hashtag ODPH. And if it's not, it's Phoenix. Yes. <laughs> Join in that conversation because, you know, Coach and I are going to have a lot to say Tuesday night. But we'll also talk to you during the week, too, because we got a lot to talk about. So, for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and go Knicks. For Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Zion, come and join Kyrie and Katie <laughs> in New York. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time.